I am delighted to welcome you back as we continue our series, Hope in an Upside Down World. Listen, this is the second week that we're focused on how Jesus followers can be balcony people, people of light, if you were with us last weekend. Uh, in other words, how do we make a difference in a horrendously divisive era, especially as we move towards national elections here in America? Now, this would be a great time right now for you to push that share button uh, on the Facebook page if you're watching us by Facebook or share the link to our website so that you can share this worship gathering and this message with as many of your family and friends as possible. This is an important time for them to engage with this uh, message for sure. Now, I am super excited to introduce my dear friend, Pastor Renee Slepfler, who is the senior pastor of Twin Lakes Church in Santa Cruz, California. He's been a senior pastor there for 27 years. It's the largest church in Santa Cruz. It is at the epic center. A lot of the fires is burning around here, and they are doing tremendous ministry, making a difference. He'll talk a little bit about that uh, shortly. And uh, listen, in addition to being an awesome pastor, preacher, and teacher, he's also a husband. He's been married to Lori for... 34 years, Lori, she's a seminary professor. He's got three adult kids. Jonathan, who works for the Apple uh, company. David, who's a part of the NFL Association. Elizabeth, who has a career in artificial intelligence. And he's got two grandkids, guys. A four-year-old Freddie and a year and a half Danny. Uh, so, just remarkable. In addition to that, he's an author of a number of books that helps you to take the Christian faith and make it practical. The last year has been just a tremendous time that we have grown in terms of a real friendship and in terms of partnership. I preached with him a couple of months ago. He's going to preach for us today. So get ready, buckle your seatbelt, and settle in as Pastor Renee talks to us today about uh, the power of unity in the midst of a divided world. Hey, New Beginnings Community Church. I am so delighted to be here joining you this weekend. And I want to say at the very start, probably the best thing that has happened to me personally through the crazy uh, six months or so that we have just lived through has been my deepened friendship with your pastor, Herman Hamilton. He has been such a source of encouragement and enlightenment to me personally and our whole church as he has shared with us and preached with us. And on another level, I want to thank NBCC, your whole congregation, for your astoundingly generous contribution to our fire relief fund, $24,000. That is just amazing. And I have to tell you, we, we really need it. As you may know, many people here in Santa Cruz County where our churches have lost their homes. In fact, several of our own staff members here at the church lost their homes, lost their possessions. And so we as a church are helping many, many of these families who have lost everything. Also, our church owns a 100-acre camp that is almost completely destroyed. So your help is beyond appreciated, and it is a great example of the unity in the body of Christ that I want to talk to you about today. Here's my question. What is the way forward through this divisive world that we are in right now? And I got to be honest with you. You know, we're all facing challenges like these fires all over California. We're facing challenges like, of course, the worldwide pandemic. But this right here concerns me as a pastor even more than the fires. 
even more than the virus, because the fires, the virus, those are all catastrophes that working together we're going to get through. But division can take down a church. It can take down a nation. Uh, your pastor, Herman Hamilton, asked me to read you some of the messages that I was telling him about that I've received in my email box and on Facebook over the last couple of weeks from Facebook. Renee, there is such a big divide in our world right now. It seems political party lines are defining faith in today's world. Pretty much all my Christian friends are on the opposite sides of the political party lines from where I am. I honestly am not even really a party line type of person, but they take such strong stances that I feel like I can't have an authentic relationship with these friends anymore. Everything's an argument, and I'm feeling like I don't belong in this crowd. Any conversation leads to heated discussions and I'm left to think that maybe I am no longer a Christian at all. That breaks my heart. She says, Renee, I am falling away. I'm starting to question the reality of the Christian message altogether. I wish these people that stand hard with their politics knew how they are actually driving people away from God. And I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Man, what, what breaks my heart about this is that she describes herself as being driven away from God just over this political discussion. And as she says, she's not even a party line type person. It's not that the politics means something to her. It's the way the politics are being expressed to her. Everything, as she put it, becomes an argument. And I know she's not the only one. An elderly couple emailed me this. We find ourselves navigating the minefields of this time, even with some friends and family. Arguments over COVID concerns, mask wearing, racially charged observations. It's so exhausting. Can you relate? I can definitely relate. The, the division, the suspicion, the tension is so real. It is all around us. And guess what? Jesus saw this coming. Jesus saw this division coming. How do I know? Well, the night before he is arrested and crucified, Jesus has the Last Supper with his disciples. And he has a prayer request. Kind of like at the end of a Bible study. You know, when you go around the room and you go, anybody got a prayer request? Imagine sitting at this circle, at this table with Jesus. And he kind of raises his hand and says, yeah, I got a prayer request. Something's really bothering me. Something's really on my mind. Oh, what is it, Jesus? And in this passage that John records for us, we discover what Jesus Christ's prayer request was. Wouldn't you love to know what was burdening Jesus Christ's heart in this moment? Well, today I want to look at three things. What did Jesus pray? Why did Jesus pray it? And how can we do it? What did Jesus pray? Why did Jesus pray it? And how can we do it? I honestly think most Christians never pray what Jesus prayed in that moment. And that's a problem. So first, what did he pray? Gospel of John chapter 17, verse 11. He prays for his disciples that are gathered in that room. And he prays, Holy Father, protect them. Earlier he said, I know Satan's out to get them. 
So, so he's saying, protect them from the schemes of Satan. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that what? What is he asking God to protect them from? What needs to be safeguarded? Protect them so that they may be one as we are one. What Jesus Christ was most concerned about in his final hours before his crucifixion was their unity. And then he prays for you. He prays for NBCC. He prays for me. It's so amazing. Skip to verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He's talking about not only the disciples, but the next generation of Christians and the next generation and the next and the next, all the way up to us. And what do you think he prays for us? I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them. Now think of what all of them meant. They're in that room in the first century. All of them. What did that mean in that generation? As Andy Stanley says, and I'm quoting Andy Stanley extensively in this first point. In the first century, all of them meant Jews, Gentiles, Romans, soldiers, Samaritans, women, slaves, freedmen, tax collectors, and those from whom the taxes were collected, the educated, the uneducated, the wealthy, the unwealthy. In the 21st century, all of them means Republicans and Democrats and the independent and the indecisive, and the privileged, and the not-so-privileged, and the black, and the brown, and the white, and the married, and the single. Jesus prays that all of them, this rich, diverse variety of people he has in this group of followers, I pray that all of them, what? May be one. In the chat or in the comment section, would you please type, make us one. Just write, Lord, make us one. As Andy Stanley says, this sounds impossible, right? But Jesus was convinced this was imperative. This was not some add-on. This was not Jesus going, wouldn't it be nice if they all got along? That'd be, that'd be better than them fighting. This was, this was mission critical to Jesus. This sounds impossible, but to Jesus it was imperative. So we should be intentional about making this a reality in our churches. But this doesn't come naturally, does it? Naturally, after something brings us together, we tend to scurry to our little corners, politically, racially, and every other way. That's just human. That is why Jesus prayed for it. He said, my church is going to be the place that is different. My church is going to be the place where Jew and Gentile and black and brown and white and liberal and conservative and socialist and libertarian can all actually be one. And some of you right now are going, well, that's just not, that's impossible. But Jesus continues, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that, so that what? Why is Jesus praying for unity? Just so that, you know, you wouldn't have friction in your NBCC home groups? No, it actually doesn't have anything to do with us. He says, so that the world 
people outside of the faith. The world, people who, who, who would drive by your church and my church and kind of like roll their eyes so that the world may believe, may be convinced of what? That you have sent me. In other words, when people see at NBCC or at TLC, Twin Lakes Church where I serve, what they do not see anywhere else, especially right now, unity beyond the normal social divisions, that more than anything else, according to Jesus Christ, is how the world will know that Jesus was really sent by God. This is how important this is. And Jesus doubles down on this in the next verse. He says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Now, he does not mean political unity. This is unity that goes far beyond politics. How, how do I know? Well, because in that upper room where he originally said this were disciples who were incredibly divided in their politics and in their social class. I mean, on the one side, you had Matthew, who was a tax collector. That meant he was part of the Roman system. And on the other side, you had Simon, who was a zealot. That means he was part of a party that was meant to upset and overthrow the Roman system. And both Simon and Matthew were handpicked by Jesus Christ to both, despite their divergent political views, be a part of this core group of 12. Because Jesus says, then, and here it is again, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. It's all about love. When people see us being unified, even the Matthews and the Simons being unified together, then they will know about the love of God. Let me put it this way. The best argument for our faith is the church being the church as described by Jesus. Do you want your loved ones to know Jesus Christ? Do you have maybe a relative or a neighbor and you've been praying for them, and, and maybe you've even asked Pastor Herman or one of the other pastors at NBCC, hey, what's a good book I can send them that might persuade them of the truth of Christianity? What's a good kind of argument that would silence their objections? You know what the best argument for our faith is? For the church just being the church. We have seen it here in the last several days in our fire evacuation center, again, that you helped underwrite NBCC. I, it's incredible the unity that I saw there. there, there's, there I saw a couple of guys that I knew were on opposite sides of the political spectrum. There was just a deep red guy and a deep blue guy, you know, a Republican and a Democrat, and they were serving together despite their differences because they were focused on a unifying mission. And people noticed this. One day I walked around, just asked people, how are you and what's life like here at the evacuation center? Listen to some of what they told me. It's just wonderful because where I came from, you know, it was, I was just terrorized by, I thought my house was going to blow up and this is like a little slice of heaven. It's so nice. People are so generous and kind and loving. It's just, 
It's great. So we came in Friday night and we were evacuated from our home and very few things we brought with us. We were able to get electricity and water and um, people were dropping things off for donations and food. It's just so overwhelming. The generosity of the community and the church members has just been wonderful. Um, has really given us peace and just feeling the love and it's such a scary time for everyone. Twin Lakes has just been awesome. This is the best campsite we've ever been to in our life. Um, meals three times a day. I helped in the donation area today. Um, I helped a homeless woman find the right place for her to be where she felt safe and, and it was just everything is awesome. When I sent a text message to Val asking if there might be a place in the parking lot for us to park our trailer for a few days. I never in my wildest dreams expected the sheer expression of love when I was greeted by Barry with water and electricity and Val, who came around a few minutes later to say, is there anything else you need? It just melted my heart. I couldn't imagine a more loving place to be in a time when you just felt broken. Wow. Okay, I'm crying right now. I gotta tell you something, not everybody at that evacuation center are followers of Jesus yet. But what they're seeing there is what Jesus himself said was the best argument for our faith. They saw the church just being the church and rising up past division and just loving the community. And again, I love that by your assistance of us, MBCC, your church's assistance, you're demonstrating such unity in the body. And, and it is so beautiful. And, and what you did was you didn't just help fire evacuation victims. You helped us demonstrate a powerful witness of the love and the unity of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the problem. Really living in unity like this consistently is challenging. And I know it's challenging because throughout the New Testament, there are all these calls to unity. And so it's clear this was a challenge even to these first Christians too, right? And so final point, how do we do this? How do we do this? Just one example, and then we'll close. Book of Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Now, disputable matters over which we shouldn't quarrel. What's he, what's he talking about there? Well, some things the Bible is crystal clear on, right? But there are a lot of disputable matters, gray areas that the Bible's not specific on that Christians who all love Jesus disagree over, dispute over. Like, you know what I'm going to do right now? I, I am going to ask you about some disputable matters right now. And I want you to go ahead and post your responses in the comments section. I mean, we're talking about division. Let's just get it out there. We all know what is causing division right now in our church and in our nation. So let's just see where you stand. For example, how many of you are dog people? How many of you are cat people? Just go ahead and type dog or cat right there in the comments. All right, now how many of you prefer Oreos? How many chips ahoy? Go ahead and type it out. 
Now, here's a, here's a big one. How many A's fans, how many Giants fans? Are there A's or Giants? And so far, we've been kidding around, right? Of course, this is the big one, just dividing our nation right now. How many classic Star Trek, how many next generation Star Trek fans? Write your preferences in your comments. Okay, seriously, back in the day, when Romans 14 was originally written, two of the most giant disagreements between Christians were, can Christians eat meat? Some said yes, some said no. And should Christians worship on Saturday or Sunday? These were the hot button issues. I mean, people left the church. People got into fights. People got into arguments. People called each other. You cannot possibly be a Christian if you believe that way. And we know that because we see some of that in Scripture. Watch this. Romans 14, verse 3. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. God has accepted them. God has accepted them by grace. So, who are you to judge someone else's servant? Your role is not judge and jury. That is God's role. Watch this. To their own master, they stand or fall. You don't think that they should dress that way? You don't think that they should have those kinds of tattoos? You don't think that they should vote that way? Well, you're not their master. To their own master they stand or fall, and they will stand, Paul says. For the Lord is able to make them stand. In other words, the Lord's working in their lives. They're, they're under, you know, construction. They're a work in progress. But the Lord will complete what he started in them. The Holy Spirit is working in their hearts and you're not the Holy Spirit. So count on this. The Lord is able to make them stand. He goes on, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Watch this now. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Now, that is an important phrase right there. You know why? Paul is not saying don't have opinions. He's not saying don't have controversial opinions. In fact, he says, you go ahead and be fully convinced in your own mind. In other words, have opinions, have strong opinions. Get informed and get involved. Be political and be passionate. Go vote. Make a difference. Having strong opinions, that's not the problem. The problem is judging others for having a different opinion than yours and expressing your opinion in a non-Christ-like way. Watch this. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. I want you to see what phrase he repeats. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. Whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. What's his, his point here? He's saying what you may see as totally off base comes from honest conviction they're doing so to the Lord. They truly believe in their hearts that this is how the Lord wants them to live. They are doing it to honor God. Let me give you an example. I think of my friend Rob Patterson. Rob is a pastor here in town, and he has often led worship from this platform here at Twin Lakes Church. When Rob, Rob's a young man, when he leads worship, he always leads worship barefoot. And our church has a wide variety of age ranges here. We have very young people, but very older people too. And often I would hear from some of the older people in the congregation, how could that young man be so disrespectful? Leading worship barefoot, what a, he's just some kind of an out-of-control hippie. What they didn't know was what I saw 
that Rob asked me not to share, although I got his permission for this story. Every time Rob led worship, right back here backstage, he would get on his knees and he would pray. And he would pray, God, just as Moses took off his sandals before the burning bush because it was holy ground, in recognition of the fact that when we come to you in worship, we are in your presence coming onto holy ground, I take off my sandals. And he would take off his sandals in this ritual way. And he would take a deep breath and he would walk onto the platform here in bare feet. People who thought he was being disrespectful had no idea it was coming from a place of deep respect. He was doing so to the Lord. Or think of judging people for their politics. It just might be that if you'd had their life experience, you would vote the exact same way to the Lord from deep conviction. What Paul is saying in this verse is, why not assume the best motives? Why always assume the worst motives all the time? Verse 13, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block in your brother's way. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Let's paraphrase this verse. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you post, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your social media posts, destroy someone for whom Christ died. And in case you're saying, well, that would never happen, it's just a social media post, did you hear the Facebook message that I read at the beginning of this sermon? There's a young woman saying, I, I feel like leaving my faith because of the way some of my Christian friends are expressing their political opinion. This is precisely what Paul is talking about in this verse. Paul's argument is, listen, you can eat whatever you want to eat. You can worship on whatever day you want to worship and, and have a strong conviction about it. That is not the issue. The issue is, does your expression of your freedom put a barrier to faith in the way of people, like in those emails and messages I read? As T.D. Jakes said, don't allow the ways you describe your convictions to alienate you from your brothers or sisters. Let's be more Christian than anything. More Christian than Democrat. More Christian than Republican. Can you type amen in the comments if you agree with this? If you do not agree with this, email Pastor Herman. No, just kidding. Email T.D. Jakes. But all amen that T.D. Jakes quote, verse 19, let us therefore make every effort, not just a token effort, to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food or politics. Okay, so how do we not do that? Well, here's the way I think of it in my mind. In the Bible, there are clear principles like a crucial issue in our country, racism. What's the biblical principle? Well, anti-racism, and it's all over the Bible. Genesis 9, 6, all human life is sacred because it's all in the image of God. James chapter 2, the first half is all about do not show prejudice, do not show favoritism. Isaiah 58, do not oppress 
crystal clear principle in the Bible. We can all be united on this. And then in our world, we see problems, unfortunately, related to biblical principles, like in this case, racial bigotry. We can be united that that is wrong. There is a straight line between principles and problems. It is clear. And so we come up with policies to address the problems that counter go counter to biblical principles. And I put a dotted line there in the graph because policy is the point where Christians of goodwill can disagree. This is where there's nuance. This is where there can be disagreement. When it comes to racism or other social ills, I hope you see the biblical principle is clear. The problems are real. The policies can genuinely and sincerely held by Christians who all love Jesus can sometimes differ. The way you apply biblical principles to problems in the world to reach a policy that you're passionate about will depend in large part on how God made you, your personal passions, your own personal background. And here in Romans 14, Paul's basically saying, can you choose to assume the best heart motives of those who come to different policies than you do when you still agree on the problems and the principles? So let's wrap this up. You and I are, by our actions and posts and con conversations, either contributing to the environment Jesus prayed for or subtracting from it. So... Which are you doing? Contributing to the environment of unity or subtracting from it? Let me just make this personal. Do you jump all over somebody who thinks differently than you or votes differently than you or has opinions different than yours? Does every disagreement with you turn into a raging argument? Do you repost incendiary news stories that are designed to make people angry at each other? Then you are literally doing the work of the devil that Jesus Christ is praying against here in this prayer. I don't want to be like that. And I don't think you do either. So two action steps as we wrap this up. First, pray for oneness. Would you please pray with me for what Jesus prayed for? Heavenly Father, make us one so that we can influence many. Pray that for NBCC. Pray that for TLC. Pray that for all the churches in the Bay Area and in America. Oneness. Second, look for an opportunity to love unconditionally someone with whom you disagree politically. You know? Oreos and Chips Ahoy people, dog and cat people, original series and next generation Star Trek people. We really can all love each other and check yes if you're willing to do this. Now let me close with a story. It's a story about a very unexpected place that I saw the power of Christian unity and really the, the source of Christian unity. Sometimes I help out at a family camp up in the Santa Cruz Mountains called the Johnny and Friends Family Camp. It's a camp with horseback riding and swimming and games and crafts and a speaker, but it's only for families who have somebody in their family with special needs. 
Usually it's one of the kids in the family. Sometimes one of the parents is in a wheelchair or uh, is a person with Down syndrome or another special need. Well, the last night of family camp one year, we had a talent show at the camp, and the final act of the talent show is one I will never forget as long as I live. A woman got up named Terry. Now, let me describe Terry. Terry was a woman and a person of color, and Terry had severe cerebral palsy. And so in many ways, she was a part of various groups, not in the power center of our culture, shall we just say. And Terry's cerebral palsy was very advanced. She, she had no control over her voice or her body or very little control. In fact, she, she moved her arms and legs so uncontrollably that except for her right arm, her other arm and her two legs had to be strapped into her wheelchair. When Terry spoke, you could only understand maybe one word in an entire sentence unless you really focused, really concentrated. Yet Terry just radiated a love for Jesus Christ and for other people that just drew you to her like a magnet. Terry quickly over the week of camp became like everybody's favorite camper. She was probably 22, 23 years old and I think everybody just fell in love with Terry. But I will admit this. When the MC at the camp got up and read from his card and said, and for our final act tonight, Terry will lead us in worship. I have to admit, this is how shallow I guess I am. My heart just sank as I thought, oh no, this, this is going to be embarrassing. Terry, leading in worship is difficult. Terry, Terry it's going to be awkward. It's going to be embarrassing. So, Terry gets up on the stage and they put a boom mic in front of her and Terry yells to the sound guy in the back of the room, hit it! And the sound guy presses play on a background music track. And as soon as the first four or five notes go by, I realize that the song that Terry has chosen to lead us in worship is God is so good. Do you remember that old chorus? God is so good, God is so good, God is so good, he's so good to me. And I thought of all the songs that she could have chosen to sing. Terry, this woman who at 22, 23 years old, finds herself on the decline with her cerebral palsy, finds herself trapped in this body, I wouldn't have blamed her for singing songs about suffering and trial. Yet the song she chooses to sing is God is so good to me. And you could tell she meant it from the core of her being. Her, her head just tilted back and tears ran down her face and she put up her, her one kind of good arm, her right arm, like this. And she just sang to the Lord in heaven. God is so good. And you know, Terry did not have to say, would everyone please stand and join us in song? Because after her first line, everyone in that packed room who could stand got to their feet.
and everybody who was in a, in a chair or for other reasons couldn't stand raised their arms and everyone who might have been an amputee or, or, or might have been a quadriplegic or paraplegic, they didn't raise their hands but they tilted their head back just like Terry did and tears were flowing down every face. And I looked down the aisle to my left, to my right, behind me and in front of me, and I saw brothers, brothers and sisters who were black and who were white and who were Asian, who were Hispanic. I saw brothers and sisters who were able-bodied and brothers and sisters with special needs. Presumably, I saw brothers and sisters who were Democrat and Republican. And all those differences were wiped away as we were lost in worship, lost in contemplation of how good God is to us, of God's amazing grace. Now you can see why I, I say I will never forget that moment. Because I got a glimpse of what Jesus Christ was praying for. The power of being so enraptured in love of God that it overcomes all of our superficial differences. Now, maybe you're saying, Renee, that's a beautiful story, but that's so naive for us to live like that today, you know, outside of a special camp like that. I want to challenge you to remember that once upon a time, there was a handful of politically diverse Jesus followers, racially diverse, culturally diverse, socioeconomically diverse Jesus followers who actually did this. They were politically oppressed by the greatest political empire the world had yet seen. Today, that empire, not here anymore. But that little church still is. Because it lived like this. Just enough to draw people in to this beautiful promise. And Jesus' prayer for us is still the way forward to this day. Let's pray together right now. Would you join me? Lord, we pray for unity in our churches. God, may, may, may the exhilarating sense of unity in contemplation of your grace permeate our churches and draw people in. And God, I just pray that if anybody needs to repent right now of working against the prayer of Jesus for unity, that we would repent. And that we would say, may I lead with love. May I draw people to you because I shine with the love of Jesus in concert with people different than me. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Wow, wow. Thank you, Pastor Renee, for a powerful, challenging, and informative message. I am so grateful to you. Now listen, guys, here's the question. How will we respond? And I'm including myself in it. There are some additional steps that you should consider taking today on your screen right now, whether you're in the, fa in the Facebook or on the website or in the NBCC app, there's something we call a connection card. It's got some additional steps there for you, including saying yes to Jesus and becoming a Jesus follower today. So take a few moments and see what is the Holy Spirit? What is God prompting you uh, to do as your next step? Now, while you're thinking about that, I just want to say, uh, 
Whatever you do, get back here next week. I'm going to be teaching. We're going to continue our discussion on faith and politics. And if you want to be notified whenever we go live next weekend or anytime thereafter, click the bell icon and turn on the notifications. Make sure you select all. Okay, here's a reflection question that I want you to wrestle with and act on over the course of this week. Here it is. Take your phone out and take a picture of it. This week... How can you show love unconditionally? Notice the word show, show love unconditionally to someone with whom you disagree politically. And uh, even if you want to tell them you're doing this work because you're trying to figure out how to be a better Jesus follower, that just might be a blessing to them. Okay.